Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Great to be with you on a Tuesday, folks, Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Day two of uh, reflection on Tennessee week. It's press conference Tuesday. So obviously we're going to talk a little Florida, you know, Gamecocks play the Gators this weekend at noon down at the swamp. Uh, Another big game (laughs) as they're all going to be during this sec schedule. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about confidence Uh, and, and looking back and I've watched the game again. And, you know, sometimes when there's a loss, especially a loss like happened Saturday night. It, it's a it's a tale of what might have been, you know, five, like Muschamp says, five or eight plays go differently. The Gamecocks are winning the game. I don't think Tennessee played like world beaters. I think they big played the Gamecocks to death. They had more big plays than Carolina that resulted in the difference in the football game. You didn't have a pick six. You have a long touchdown pass. You had the flea flicker that came out. Uh, you had the fumble on the punt that hit Cam Smith in the leg. You know, all those things sort of happen, and, you know, it's tough to win a close football game like that. I do think the Gamecocks battled back well. Um, I do think that Mike Bobo probably called the best game play-calling-wise uh, of any coach since the uh, Spurrier era, I think. And I know Brian McClendon had some games where they went up and down the field and and, and that type of thing, running, running the spread and tempo and all that, but – I just thought the designs of the plays were good. Uh, I thought it made sense. I thought the second half adjustments were great. You know, we hadn't seen that in a while, have we? Second half adjustments. <laughs> um, and, you know, live and learn and you keep moving forward. I think that um, you can't shoot yourself in the foot like Carolina did. So, so, so what's the difference between Tennessee and South Carolina right now? And I know the Vols are recruiting well and uh, they got a top 10 class coming in with a lot of difference makers and, you know, their roster is kind of on the way up. So it may be that we're sitting here next year talking about how they have a talent advantage, but I don't think they do uh, when you look at the two schools right now. I think the difference between Tennessee and South Carolina right now is confidence. You know, Tennessee's won seven straight. Uh, and a lot of their games last year uh, down the stretch after they played Carolina were a lot like that game Saturday night where there were stretches where they didn't look good. <laughs> Uh, stretches where the opponent didn't look good, but they had what it took to win. And and that team, when you watch them, you know, the thing that, that impressed me the most about Tennessee is they responded. Uh, and I think you have to respond. I mean, you know, and that, that's been an issue with the Gamecocks. Uh, you know, going back to that, and I keep talking about this, that Florida game in 2018, the Gamecocks in many ways are returning to the original scene of the crime Saturday. Uh, because you're up 31-14, they have a play kind of go against you. They cut it to 31-21, and then uh, I think that was that drop pass or whatever. And and then instead of responding, you just kept letting them hit, you know, kept letting the Gators punch. Uh, I think back to last year, you know, you you just – you know, you look at the the North Carolina game, uh, you know, instead of responding when they cut it to 20-17, you just let them keep punching. Uh, you think back to the Missouri game last year, you know, you go down and, and, and you, you are responding and then you throw a hundred yard pick six and that essentially ends the football game. So I, uh, 
you know, looking at it, that, that's that's a problem right now with South Carolina football. They they have to find a way to respond when adversity hits during the course of a game, and, and that's what winning teams do. Um, and, and Saturday night, you know, down 21-7, they came back and tied it up. You know, they did respond. But you had a Tennessee team there that <laughs> is exuding confidence that continue to do it. And then, you know, South Carolina just – quite frankly, did not have enough. But that, that's the difference right now. You know, Tennessee had the confidence to pull that game out. And, look, had they lost six in a row after they beat Carolina last year? Um, I don't know that they do it. You know, I honestly don't know. But they had a lot of games last year where they just came back and won. And they're a very confident football team. I fully expect them to whip Missouri this weekend and go to 2-0 and and then – We'll see kind of what happens with them for the rest of the year. But, you know, that, that's the difference, folks, is that, you know, South Carolina, Lou Holtz used to talk about learning how to win. So did Steve Spurrier. And, and Will Muschamp certainly talks about the same thing. you got to learn how to win. Uh, and, and you're not – you're going to have a lot of close games, obviously. And you're not going to win if you don't respond. And then if you make the mistakes you make at critical points. I mean, a minute 29 to go – um, I don't know that Carolina would have gone down and scored, but, you know, Shai Smith was having a big game. Colin Hill was finding him. Gamecocks were moving it pretty well. You know, I think they'd at least maybe have been firing at the end zone toward the end. So um, that's tough. You know, <clears throat> we talked about the Nick Muse drop pass, and, and that's, that's tough because that's a critical play. Like I said, at least a first down. Now, I've looked at the different angles, and – if you look at like the quarterback angle where we're kind of Hill's vantage point, Nick looks wide open. Like there's green all, you know, like he's going into the end zone. Um, <clears throat> Tennessee did have some defensive backs over there. So I, I, I don't know that he would have scored, uh, but that's a, that's a first down in my opinion. And the drive stays alive and, you know, Carolina had started running a little better with, with Harris and Fenwick and, you know, the run game kind of play. And, and look, I, I think, too, after watching it again, I, I, I believe the O-line had a bad first half. I think the second half, they played pretty well. And I think the pass protection was not bad, you know, uh, for, for the night. I mean, I think you can get – you can be a lot worse. <laughs> um, you know, Colin Hill wasn't exactly getting lit up over and over again. But I'll say this, this bunch this weekend, uh, they're going to come after Hill. Uh, so there's good news and bad news with that. The good news is when you play a Todd Grantham defense, there are going to be some opportunities down the field for you and guys running open. So Bobo is going to have to, again, have a excellent game calling plays. Um, they're faster than Tennessee, I think, uh, in terms of just overall speed on defense. And they're going to come after uh, Colin Hill. You know, they'll, they'll, that's what, that's what they do. They, they sort of live and die by the blitz and exotic pressures and all that good stuff. And, and I think, you know, like I said, there's opportunities. And if you look at the last two years, you know, South Carolina's taken advantage of those opportunities uh, up until the fourth quarter when Grantham again made adjustments and shut the game cock offense down and they won the game. But yeah, that, that, that's a problem, you know, is confidence. And if you look at it, South Carolina's now four and 12. Uh, in their last 16 games against FBS competition. Uh, and there's a win over Vandy and a win over Akron in there. <laughs> and that's tough. Um, those two teams were not very good. And, you know, things are not good. 
You know, there, there's no other way to spin it. You know, that's an ugly record. And they've lost to some awesome games they probably thought they could have had. And then they've, they've lost some games where they hadn't shown up. You know, like the Virginia game and the bowl game during the stretch. It's just been a bad stretch, folks. But, you know, here's reality. This is the worst stretch for Carolina football since 1998-99. And we all remember those days, most of us. Uh, that was pre-Lou Holtz or the first year Lou Holtz. Gamecocks went 1-21. and They sort of bottomed out. But that was, you know, six years into the SEC. There's no facilities. Um, you know, Brad Scott was kind of just – middling you know manning the ship <clears throat> uh he made some mistakes with his staff i thought uh you know they, then they go and get lou holtz and you know that was part of a big build over the next two decades where you know south carolina became a program that that can win holtz and then spurrier and you know it, it, it it's kind of crazy that will muschamp first two years you know i i think everybody would say he overachieved and then you're sitting there at six and three in the swamp up 17 chance to go to seven and three probably when you could win eight or nine in 2018 which you know would have been good considering the disappointing losses earlier in the year to Kentucky and Texas A&M um and they blew it and things have not been right since you know there's been some moments you know the offensive explosion at Clemson was you know at least it was fun to watch you know none of those games have been too much fun for the Gamecocks, but at least 2018 was fun to watch. But, you know, you go and you win in Athens. And quite frankly, that win over the third-ranked team in the country, you know, let's think back to last year, folks. You know, you you got to – you go and you you get off the – you know, you had a disappointing game at Missouri, so what? Yeah, that happened. We all know what happened in that game. That was a – that was a tough day for the offense against a team that really wasn't that great defensively. Um. Gabe Cox got outcoached that day, I felt. Well, then you come back against Kentucky and you kind of break that streak, which was important. You know, that was a that was one where you couldn't lose. And then you go on the road and beat Georgia, which is always a big, huge game for Carolina. And, you know, border rival, and they were third in the country and then one of the halves right now and one of the, the cabal, as Mike Morgan and I talk about it. That should have facilitated confidence. Um. And so then you go to Florida again, you know, home at home last year, Quagmire. Uh, crowd was, you know, not a sellout, but the weather sucked. But loud, you know, Gamecocks are playing really well. Uh, they get up 17-10, and then all of a sudden, you know, here comes that big run where, you know, obviously <laughs> there was, um, you know, a non-call by the refs. And then things just fell apart. You know, you still were up 2017 going into the, I guess, the the fourth, and it fell apart. And then, you know, really no confidence for the rest of the year. Uh, no offense to the game against Vandy, but, you know, Vandy's quarterback got hurt on the first play. And, and it's just, you know, again, that game, the Florida game sort of ripped the soul out of Carolina. But you got to, even with that game, you got to go respond at Tennessee the next week. Um, you know, you can't fall apart in the second half. And, you know, that's just kind of what's missing right now. This, this group does not have a lot of confidence. Uh, and when you don't have confidence, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of teams, those are the teams that make mistakes like the punt hits you in the back or you drop a key pass or something like that because the confidence is just missing. Um, and I think that's the difference right now between the Vols and the Gamecocks. 
you know, the Vols really haven't beat anyone special, you know, including Carolina twice now during this streak. But they found a way to win. And, you know, the more you win, no matter who it's against, the more confident you're going to play. And um, right now, you know, there, there's just not a lot of confidence. Now, can they find it this weekend? Hopefully. Um, I think Florida is a very good football team. Uh, they find a way to win low scoring, high scoring, whatever. Kyle Trask uh, obviously is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And, and they have a lot of talent at wide receiver, uh, and including uh, probably the best tight end in the conference in Kyle Pitts, who eight catches for 170 yards last week. That's pretty stellar for a tight end uh, out in Oxford, Mississippi. Defense did give up over 600 yards against the Rebels. The Rebels do have some good players. Surprised that Matt Corral was able to do what he did against the Gators. Uh, but like I said, you know, Todd Grantham secondary and I'm sorry, his, his defense overall, that they will give you some opportunities. You know, if they're not sitting there sacking you and having a bunch of lost yardage plays, there are times you can you can get it down the field. So South Carolina's protection and O-line, you know, has to be pretty stellar this weekend. Uh, but, you know, like I said, quite frankly, in the last two years it has been. And I think they got a better offensive coordinator. Now, you don't have Brian Edwards or Debo Samuel there, but, um, you know, I, I thought Shai Smith played well, and I think the Gamecocks – you know, we'll have some opportunities if they execute and go out there and play with confidence. What does that mean for the final score? I don't know, because I don't know. You know, I think stopping Florida is going to be a big challenge. Um, you know, I, I do think Carolina's defense is better than Ole Miss's, but, you know, it's down there. And, you know, if Tennessee can big play you to death, the Gators can certainly. <laughs> uh, and that's the, that's the issue. But I, I don't know. You know, look. Here's the thing, too. Between week one and week two, that's when football teams change the most. Uh, that's when you really don't you don't really don't know. And and I'll I'll give you some examples from the Big Twelve. You know, Kansas State goes down at home to Arkansas State, and then they go to Oklahoma and win. You know, Texas Tech almost goes down to Houston Baptist. And then they go and, and play Texas off their feet and should have won the football game. 63-56 was the final. Iowa State lost at home to Louisiana. Uh, and then they beat TCU this past weekend. So there, there's sort of some unexpected outcomes that do happen between week one and week two. And I, I'd, use, I'd use an ACC example, but they've had so many cancellations and rescheduling. I don't know if anybody's played two weeks in a row. Um, Clemson, I guess, did. They went Wake Forest and then the Citadel, but you know that's you know that's kind of the week two layup after you open on the road. So that probably wouldn't be a good example. But so we'll see. We'll see kind of what happens um, this weekend. I, I I don't know that things will be better in the swamp, but I, I probably things will be different. You know, like I said, that because you talk to people that you know, like to play the spread and, you know, you talk to people that are coaches and, and things of that nature. And they always say, you know, don't, don't predict anything in week two based on week one, because things get a lot different. Um, and so I, I tend to believe that. And, uh, you know, I'll go back to two, I'll, I'll throw another historical reference out there. Go back to Oh nine Gamecocks go on the road to play NC state to open the season they win seven to three. 
Stephon Gilmore, true freshman, had to break up a Russell Wilson pass late um, to win the game. And then the next week, you go to Georgia, and it's 41-37. Gamecocks offense goes up and down the field. I think they had a defensive score. Um, so, so, the you know, it's just, just crazy. You know, it was kind of, kind of crazy how, how things went from one week to the other. Um, and that's happened. You know, that's happened time and time again. But, you know, I'm trying to think of an example under Muschamp. Do, 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 do. Just trying to think. I mean, Coastal Georgia in 2018 wouldn't be a good example, nor would the Charleston Southern game last year. What up, 2017? 2017, Carolina actually, you know, pulled it out against NC State and then went on the road to Missouri and won pretty big. So I, I do think they got better from that first game to the second game. 2016, it was at Vandy Law win, and then at Mississippi State, they lost and weren't really – they were at 24 nothing at halftime. Oh, here you go. Mississippi State lost to uh, South Alabama at home that week and then played the Gamecocks and won. And I, I think that team ended up in a bowl. So, like I said, I, and I'm not – you know, this is a, a pandemic year. It's an all-SEC schedule that was a critical loss in terms of, you know, overall outcome for the season because of the way the schedule is. I'm not Pollyanna sunshine rainbows guy uh, about this. It's going to be a hell of a challenge on Saturday in the swamp. Um, and like I said, I don't know that the outcome will be better. I just kind of feel like it'll be different gut feeling, you know, just because you go and Florida scored 51 and gave up 613 points. I don't, I mean, excuse me, 613 yards. I don't think they're going to do that again, you know. But I don't know that, that Pitts is going to catch for 170 and Trask is going to throw, you know. And they're going to put up 600. I, I think it may be a little bit different game where both defenses kind of bounce back. Uh, but we'll see, you know. Can't turn it over, got to play well. Um, but the losses are piling up, folks. I mean, like I said, you've lost 12 out of 16 against FBS-level competition and – you know, of your four wins, two, you know, one came against Akron, one came against Vandy. So it's been, it's been tough sledding for the University of South Carolina Gamecocks for a while now. And so this, uh, this is a, a year where you got to bounce back. I mean, you can't, you know, you start 0-2, well, then you got to, you better go beat Vandy um, on the road in Nashville. They're not letting any fans in up there. Um, Fandy was better than I think people thought they would be, but Texas A&M has issues. Gamecocks have to play A&M later this year. Um, A&M's got to play Bama this weekend, too. That's going to be a challenge <laughs> for them. Um, you know, and uh, I think that when you go sort of down the list, you, you, you're probably going to have a lot of close games this year. You know, I think that, you know, it's, it's hard to tell from week one, you know, who's actually going to be that good or not. But, um, you know, it's probably going to be a lot of close games. And, and I think – so you got to – if you lose this weekend, got to go beat Vandy and take your shot at Auburn and take a shot at LSU and A&M and Ole Miss, the, the, the tour of the West, and then hope that you're in a good position by the time Missouri comes to town and Georgia comes to town and you go to Kentucky to finish out the East schedule that's where, you know, you've got um, – you got something to play for in terms of getting – uh, back to the postseason. So that's that's my thing on that. You know, th this team needs confidence right now. Uh, th this team uh, and this program, you know, through the last few years has just, you know, it, it's it's 
been sort of drained out of them. And that's why they've lost the games they've lost in situations where, you know, you look back and you say, well, maybe they shouldn't have lost that one, you know. The last two openers come to mind, North Carolina and Tennessee, critical games against programs that don't want to – those two programs want to kick your teeth in and recruiting every year because uh, they're right there in the neighborhood and you lose by four both times and in games that you probably probably should have won. But, I, you know, in all fairness, I, I do think Tennessee's got a confident football team this year. Uh Looking at their talent, they've got some players, obviously, but I, I, you know, is this going to be their breakthrough season? I don't know. They're going to have to get better. Um, I think South Carolina talent-wise was just as good. Uh, I just think the difference is, again, they, they have confidence. And, you know, if you want inspiration from the Vols, look back to last year. They turned their season around, you know. And I think that was unexpected. If South Carolina turns their season around this year, I'm not going to be – stunned or surprised um but i was surprised by that because tennessee looked terrible and and they didn't look like they had players and they had issues and all that gamecock so far not terrible but you got to go to the swamp where you can look terrible in a hurry steve spurrier field um noon kickoff eastern time es i think it's espn or is it sec network i think it's espn Mark Jones calling that game. Uh, I got that text yesterday. I saw it was posted on the board um, for the worldwide leader in sports. So we'll see what happens. Plenty of time to talk about the Gators, uh, you know, for the rest of this week. want to um, tell you that on the bigspur.com right now, if you're a VIP member, you can ask our Florida expert, Bob Redman, questions about the Gators. And I answered a bunch of questions about the Gamecocks for him today. Uh, so go check that out. Also, Mailbag, you can also get in uh, on the mailbag at tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, or you can email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. And certainly going to get to those here right now. Um, Randy, uh, actually, Ivan, uh, he sent a tweet in to the tweet deal. Um, said, uh, there's a chance that coming to America too will be good. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the, any image of the original, the icon, uh, excuse me, the original was iconic, and it definitely was. I think at one point I memorized that movie, um, or a lot of the, the lines in it. They're not for McDonald's, are they? Uh, but he sent a picture of Eddie Murphy filming as Akeem last year. Going to give that one a retweet. Thank you so much for that one. And then, um, you know, rolling down, Justin. Uh, he tweets to at the Big Spur Pod. Losing the way we did there was terrible after hearing all offseason about the game-winning drive situational work. Cam Smith has to feel worse than any of the fans could. What's your takeaway from this game? I want your thoughts before I express mine. Well, I'm sorry I'm a little late with that because it's – gosh, I guess this came in at midnight on uh, the game night, uh, you know. He said – thought they made good adjustments at the half, whatever – um, I, look, Cam Smith does have to feel terrible. People need to leave him the hell alone. Stop making little snide remarks about him on Twitter and on, you know, uh, the big spur, the message boards. Because, look, man, and look, he didn't play well. He had probably had a terrible game. But that's one game, and it's his first game. 
And, you know, that kid could have gone to Georgia or Tennessee. So, I mean, you know, he he continues to struggle. Obviously, nobody needs to be clamoring for him to have a starting position, but people need to leave him alone. I mean, that's just, you know, the way some people act is, is ridiculous. Again, and look, I'm not saying that college players are above criticism. I'm not one of those guys that are like, oh, they're they're not pros, so you can't say anything bad about, you know, or negative or critical about any player. That, that's not true. Um, but I, I think some of the stuff about Cam Smith's been way over the top. Yeah, and I understand people are passionate, but but you can't just blame one guy. I mean, that, that's just totally unfair and quite frankly sucks. Um, as far as my takeaway from the game, Justin, I gave it. You know, the other day, I think that, you know, and at the beginning of this episode of the podcast, you know, I think the difference between Tennessee and South Carolina right now is Tennessee's confident and South Carolina is not. So um, that's the deal. And, yeah, game-winning drive, situational work, you had to think, oh, they've worked on that all all year. And I thought the same thing before they got the punt off. And, you know, that's kind of kind of how it went. But Justin, thank you for the tweet. Uh, certainly appreciate that. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, getting on the Twitter and giving us a little message. All right. So the rest of these are from the email. Eric says, really enjoy the podcast. Uh, thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. Uh, I have been in, I've been more in the give must champ time camp and really like the changes that he has made. But after the loss to Tennessee, I'm frustrated and confused. I felt like the play calling was pretty good. And I have hope it could be the best offensive play call in Muschamp has ever had with Bobo. I, I agree. It was one of the – as far as the calls go, um, it was spot on. Because because what you want to do as a play caller is get guys open. I mean, that's – you know, that's what the best ones do. I mean, you know, look at Mike Leach on Saturday. You know, he <laughs> dialed them up and got guys open. I thought Bobo did the same thing. As limited as the Gamecocks are at receiver, you know, I, I thought that – Having guys open and Colin Hill being able to execute it was part of the reason they stayed in the game. Look, I'm going to tell you this. If it's not for Colin Hill and Mike Bobo, that's a blowout. It's a 31-7 to football game. Um, And not saying that we need to take any moral victories away from it or anything like that, obviously. But, you know, there were were two things that weren't issues, and that was quarterback play and play call. In fact, that kept Carolina in the game. Uh, Eric goes on to say, I also feel like Hill played pretty well. I felt like there were times the defense played well, especially on third down. Yeah, one for 11 on third down. That stat shocked me. One for 11, you know, if you'd have told me, and Hale McGranahan on our site said this, that Carolina was going to hold Tennessee to one for 11 on third down, I'd say they're winning the ball game. It's really all just confusing because it's never just one thing. That's true. It's almost like Carolina's average at everything and something different ends up being below average for each game that costs us win. What are your thoughts? Still playing for Muschamp to turn it around, but I must admit I can't really defend him if someone's just done and ready for him to go. Well, the losses are piling up, you know? Like I mentioned at the top, 4-12 and in your last 16 games against FBS competition, that's the worst period around South Carolina in a long time. Um. And you're right, it's never just one thing. I think that, you know, it's 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 a confidence thing. I think it's a – I don't know. It's just kind of an overall deal right now. And, you know, it's almost like the old adage, if it's not one thing, it's another. And you don't really expect 
I mean, like, you know, so third down's been an issue on defense for a long time. And you go in and you get that fixed and you hold them to one for 11. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get big played to death. You let the flea flicker come out on you. You know, when the game's tied and you have all the momentum in the world, you give up a bomb. You can't, you know, those things just happen and they happen at bad times. And that's what happens to football teams that don't have confidence that are losing football teams. You know, we all we all can think back through the Brad Scott era. It wasn't that South Carolina never was in a ball game. It's just they'd normally lose. And that's what happens to bad teams. And right now they're, they're not, a, you know, you can't argue with the last 16 games and say Carolina's anywhere close to being a good team. You know, because that's what you're judged by, wins and losses, period. You can, you know, and like I said, I praised Will Muschamp for – the recruiting for the individual player development, for the fact that he's got a good group, you know, for the the, the culture of the team in terms of guys doing what they're supposed to do. Um, the academics have been excellent, record setting. You know, there's a lot of boxes that you check. And then the guy, I think the guy was tr- showed tremendous leadership through what was a ridiculously difficult summer and spring with a pandemic and then all the social justice issues and all that. I thought the guy was outstanding in that department, uh, probably better than, you know, some guys that won football games on Saturday, but you gotta, you know, it's, it's the bottom line business. And Will Muschamp will tell you that he told you that when he left Florida and he'll tell you that if he ever leaves South Carolina, he didn't win enough games. And, um, you know, you, you gotta go win games and you gotta have the confidence to win games. And then once you start winning again, if they do, you, you need to kind of, Move forward with it. I mean, you, you don't go beat the number three team on the road and come back the next week and have a disappointing loss and then have an against another top ten team and then have an even more disappointing loss the following week against a team that up until they played you had trouble crossing the 50. Um, when you have the talent on defense to shut Georgia down uh, or at least hold them out of the end zone, keep them from scoring, and then you, you – <laughs> You just let them go. You, you know, you let Florida go up and down the field to the tune of 21 fourth quarter points, and then Tennessee puts 41 on you. And I know there was two special team scores, but you know what what happened there? You know, over those five quarters of football to the defense. You know, you come back the next week. Defense plays well. Defense played well against the App. Appalachian State only had 200 yards, one offensive touchdown. Um. So, yeah, you know, if it's not one – it seems like if it's not one thing, it is another in terms of these outcomes of these games because, I mean, you know, I I think you'd ask any coach on the staff before the game if you hold them to one for 11 on third down, are you going to win? I'd have taken the – I'd put the house on that. The house. You know, now now if it's like one for five, you're like, well, maybe they didn't get to third down too often. But one for 11? (sighs) Anyway. Thank you for your email, Eric. I appreciate that. Kyle says, JC, to me, it's obvious we must have a mobile quarterback to have sustained success in our league. Our best player in the spur era was Shaw scrambling for the sticks on third and long. Why does Muschamp our recruiting quarter and not seem to understand this? Wouldn't it be better to just play a not-quite-ready Doty and let him gain experience in this freebie year? I, I, don't, I don't think the quarterback was an issue at all, and I, I think – um, I understand that Connor Shaw, when he was playing, yes, uh, you know, mobile quarterback was great. Uh, I also think that now the game has changed. 
And, you know, yes, you, having a mobile quarterback is nice. And Luke Doty and Gunnar Stockton, that's going to be nice, you know, if they ever get to that. But you got to have a guy that can execute the passing game first and foremost because it's much – defenses have called up to the, hey, let's, uh, let's just run around with the quarterback kind of deal. They can spy you. They can do whatever. And, and I'm not saying Connor Shaw would have not have been successful right now because, you know, nobody ever talked about Shaw being able to throw it like he could. You know, everybody at the beginning was like, he can't throw. He could throw. And you had Spurrier dialing up pass plays. But um, I, I, I don't know. You know, you think back, who were the best quarterbacks during the SEC era? You know, I'd, how many of them were really mobile? Um, Phil Petty, not really mobile, could run a little bit. Um, you know, and I, I don't think you go and you turn down – or Ryan Helensky, if he wants to come. And I think Connor Colin Hill uh, had a really good debut. I think he's got a good arm. I think he puts the ball in the spots where guys can catch it, which leads to big plays in the passing game. Um, it's easy to pick apart, you know, that the pass to Nick Muse was a little high or that the pick six bounced off somebody's hands. But that guy knows how to run this offense, and that's really your only chance. Um it is a freebie year in terms of eligibility, Kyle, but I, I don't know that it's a freebie year in terms of this program because I don't, I don't think they could just lay up two and eight on the board and everything's okay. I mean, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just not convinced of that. I wasn't convinced you could lay up four and eight last year. You know, I sat there and argued till I was blue in the face that you know, as much as I like Will Muschamp, that you know that it's not, you know, a, a the change at making a change last year was not shouldn't be something that was completely off the table and out of the question, uh, especially in the SEC. Nobody survives the year four disaster, um, right or wrong. And so, and I said, you know, Ray Tanner has elected to keep him, and so then that's on him. If this thing gets worse, uh, that's on him. And uh, it's tough because it, it's also a situation where I think if, if Muschamp did leave, you're going to have a lot of transfers. And so, you know, the, the next guy is not necessarily going to inherit a bunch of great talent. And, you know, that's why you don't keep a guy based on a recruiting class if indeed that was why they kept Muschamp. Now I'm pulling for him, and, and I, I still think – you know, you look at it and, and, and look, there, there's ways you evaluate coaches when you're in this business because it's, you know, it's not just wins and losses. You kind of got to dig in and, and you look at the other things beyond win-loss record. And maybe we should just go back. Maybe all this is too too confusing and, and complicated, like when you get into recruiting and you get into this and you get into that. Maybe we should just go back to the day where he's a winner. Uh, he's playing he, – he's coaching winning football, and this guy's not. And so, you know, these are the reasons why you need to, to go get the guy that wins. You know, maybe we've made it too complicated with these coaching searches. But at the same time, uh, I think a lot of these, this nowadays is, is where you're at. You know, Ed Orgeron did not do well at Ole Miss at all. Uh, he won a national championship at LSU last year. And so – you know, I don't know. We'll see kind of what happens, uh, you know, at the end of the day. But I, maybe we've made it too complicated. Maybe saying things like the air raid will never work in the SEC, uh, maybe that's an old wives' tale. It certainly looks that way after Saturday. And, look, I'm, I'm going to admit it to you. Those of you that know me and follow me and 
members of the Big Spear knows the Big Spear. <laughs> this is not Florida State, by the way. I just said the Big Spear. This is not Florida State, by the way. And anytime you feel bad about what happened Saturday, uh, go look toward Tallahassee and you'll feel a lot better. Um, <laughs> the Big Spur, you know, you know that I was like, I don't think an air raid will work in the SEC. Well, maybe I'm not right. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not right. Maybe, you know, Mike Leach was clamoring for an SEC job just because, you know, you can get 10 times the athlete in this footprint, no matter where you're at, maybe not at Vandy, than you can in Pullman, Washington or Lubbock, Texas. And maybe he just knows that, well, I've got, I can scheme up anybody, but I've got faster players than I used to now and they can go compete. Or maybe, you know, maybe LSU just didn't have all their players. And, you know, I tend to think one of the reasons I thought Mississippi State would win was because of, of the offseason LSU's had. People just chalk it up to, oh, they're still good. And uh, you don't lose that many guys and that many coaches. Um, but, you know, anyway, I, I – I kind of got off track here, Kyle. You know, I, 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 the point of all this, I, I don't know that it's a freebie here. Um, and I don't know that, you know, nowadays that in recruiting, because you mentioned that must have the recruiting coordinator understanding dual threat guys. Uh, there's two things here. Number one, um, there's not just like guys that can throw and run and you got to go have to, you, you know, you have to have a guy that can throw. I mean, you know, otherwise to carry and join would probably be the quarterback. Uh, unless you're running like the rich Rodriguez system. I mean, go look at Ole Miss yesterday, John Reese Plumley last year, their dual threat guy was outstanding as a freshman. I think he rushed for 120 yards against Bama, but they're running rich rod system. Well, now Matt Carell's back out there. And Plumlee's kind of a role player because he you got to be able to throw the ball most of the time. Um, and and number two, you know, we can say he doesn't understand this, but you know, two out of your last three quarterbacks you've committed are Gunnar Stockton and uh, Luke Doty. They can run, <laughs> so maybe there and, and you know he did take Jordan and McIlwain, so maybe there is some understanding there. It's just you can't find those guys and. You can't sacrifice the ability to throw it to run it because defenses have caught up to that. So, um, you know, and like I said, about playing Doty, I, I don't know that it is a freebie year. I, I think that, uh, you know, it's important for the program to um, to turn it around because you, you hang three and seven up this year on top of four and eight. That's still – I mean, these games still count, folks. You know, it, COVID or no, th these games still count. And and your record still counts. And they're still going to have a championship this year, you know. And so that's uh, that's the deal there. Kyle, very thought-provoking. Um, very thought-provoking email, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Phil emails in. He says, hey, JC, like every other Gamecock, I'm frustrated with how the game ended Saturday. Seems like mental lapses, lack of killer instinct. Killer instinct is important because that gets back to confidence and counterpunching and, and avoiding the counterpunch. That's very important. Teams to, seems to plague this team time and time again throughout the Muschamp era. I'm not blaming Muschamp 100%, but I'm not sure it's a culture problem anymore. And, and a lot of times it depends on what you call culture in terms of uh, – you know, winning and losing and all that. We need to capitalize on certain situations in order to win, especially when we get the ball to start the drive on their side of the field. 
concerned about our offensive line. We look slow on the edge, couldn't maintain pass blocks. Defense needs to improve all around. Tennessee quarterback missed a lot of passes where guys were open. True. On a play. And they won't do it Saturday. Trask is not Garantano. <laughs> on a positive note, I believe Colin Hill did a good job. The interception wasn't his fault. Shy had a great game. Glad he stepped up. And Fenwick looked good. I agree. Deshaun Fenwick, I thought, had a really good game. Catching it, running it, found the hole. I still believe in this team. I'm glad we fought back considering teams have about a 10% chance of winning when giving up a defensive touchdown. We just seem too conservative at times, in my opinion. What's your thoughts? Love the show. Still appreciate just having football, win or lose, go game class. I don't think they got conservative. I think um, Bobo said it, too. Uh, he told Muschamp. Muschamp said this in the press conference. They, they needed to get a little more vertical in the first half, go down the field a little more. Um, and they did in the second, and it worked. And so I think, uh, you know, if there was any kind of question about the play calling, maybe that second quarter-ish, they could have gone, you know, a little more vertical. Because uh, you do that and you get a big play. Uh, Tennessee had a lot of momentum there in the second. You know, you tie it up, then you go to the locker room with it. But you mentioned a lot of good things. The mental lapses, the lack of killer instinct. That should not be happening. That should not be happening. Not with this group. This is a good group. You know, these aren't guys that are just out there going through the motions. These guys all work their ass off. Coaches on down. You know? Um, offensive line-wise, thought the O-line looked better in the second half. Nobody's talking about that. Uh, I don't think Colin Hill necessarily was harassed and pressured a ton the whole night, but early on it did happen. And I think, you know – the offensive line, when you got guys back like the Gamecocks do and it's supposed to be a strength, those guys need to go out and set the tone. And the first drive, quite frankly, they did. First drive, I was kind of surprised Carolina was running it as well as they were. But, yeah, and you got to maintain pass block Saturday, man, or Colin Hill, you know, he's going to – there's going to be more than two sacks. Uh, and there probably will be anyway, just to be honest, but – uh, there'll be more than two. And I say two. He was sacked four, but one was on him, uh, and one was on um, uh, a receiver that missed a block or ran a wrong route or something like that. So the O line really gave up two sacks the whole night. Uh, and you're right about the defense. Defense just needs to get, you know. And I, I said in my thoughts and on, on the show, like get off the field. Um, and then I was told, you know, one for 11 on third down. That's true, but they still need to get off the field. I mean, you know, when you tie the game, you can't go give up a touchdown drive. You know, when when you come back and, and get up off the mat and you're down two touchdowns and tie it up, you can't let them go down to score, you know? So, I don't know. Thanks for your question, Phil. Uh, Phil is a frequent emailer of the show, and I appreciate that. Uh, Noah, JC, keep up the fantastic work. How would you evaluate Xavier Lake's game on Saturday, and what are your expectations for him moving forward? I have higher expectations for him moving forward, but that was his first game um, where I think we've seen Xavier out there a whole lot in terms of, you know, and, and being in a position to make plays. I, I thought it was really good for him to catch the long pass, which wasn't – it wasn't out. I'll say Colin did not throw the ball great on that one. But Xavier came back and got it. That was a huge play because at that point, you know, that puppy goes incomplete or gets intercepted. I think Tennessee's going back in the end zone and it's over. I mean, it's a it's a blowout loss, uh, most likely. 
So, you know, you got to make big plays at big times. I thought he did. Uh, I'd like to see him in the open field a little more so I could evaluate, you know, more of the speed that he's, you know, supposed to have. Uh, and, and I think he does. I just think we, we didn't really see it Saturday night. But, you know, look, you got one guy that catches 10 balls for 140 yards. You know, you're looking for your other guys to do that three, four, five, you know. And, and I thought he and Leggett – I mean, sorry, he and Muse did their job Saturday night, you know, in terms of production. I hate that Muse dropped that pass. Uh, but, I, but I think I think Leggett's going to be okay. I really do. I want to see him in the open field a little more. And see kind of how that works out, um, and my expectations for him are bet probably higher than than what it was Saturday night. You know, I thought that was just a, a good first one, and he's got to build on that performance. Uh, Thomas, JC, you have commented multiple times about Josh Van being the seventh wide receiver, and that alone was a positive. It showed others passed him. Yet he was getting targets on the open opening drive. Why are we putting our seventh wide receiver out there that early? Or is he really not the seventh guy? Is he more like the third or fourth guy? The fact that he's playing getting targets that early is alarming. I'd hope that Cox, Cox would be capable of doing more than Josh Fan. Yeah, it surprised me he got out there and looked out. He didn't. My guess is it's because they play different positions. Um, in other words, you've kind of got three starters there and then three backups, and they play – you know, they learn, especially the young guys, they learn those positions only. And so it's like, you know, you get an X, Z, you know, they, they call it the letters. But um, And he was open one time, a couple times from, you know, what I could tell. Um, and sometimes you see a guy that's open and, and you look down after the play's over, though, and he was really not. Uh, that happens. That happens to me sometimes, too. But – um yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think that was a situation where it was a surprise that you know you didn't see Joiner touch it and and he played, but you, you saw Powers in there a little bit, and then Doty just didn't get in. Um, so maybe uh, you know, and that was really it because I think the other guys got in, but you know, I I, uh, I share your concern. With that, because that's what we had heard. Now I do know this: I, th- there were there were not going to be eight wide receivers that called passes Saturday night. You know, the the idea was to be very surgical in the approach and to get it to shy and get it to leg it and get it to the backs and the tight ends and, and move it that way. And I thought I thought that that was a good good plan. <laughs> you know, because you go out there and I mean you think about last year. You know. Formation-wise, Carolina put five wide. And did that help? No. <laughs> Not a lot. You know, so there's different ways to do it. But I I, I share your concern in terms of, uh, you know, the other receivers. Uh, and I think I think they will. I think you'll see that this weekend. But, you know, who knows? I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. I've been surprised before and I'll be surprised again, especially with personnel use. But – Nevertheless, we'll see kind of what happens. Uh, and, 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 and the counterpoint to that, though, Thomas, would be if all of a sudden the light comes on for Van and he starts looking like the guy that in 2018 went out to Ole Miss as a true freshman, caught a touchdown and looked good and looked like he was starting to play fast, then, then there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I've never been somebody that wanted to just chalk Van up to being a bust. I was just like, well, if he's behind these other guys, these other guys must be pretty good because 
coaches tend to gravitate towards experience, especially for openers. Um, you know, but I, that was not a theory where it ended up being correct. So we'll kind of see what happens moving forward. But, that, you know, hopefully maybe Josh Van's starting to play well. You know, obviously if, if the folks that saw him open were correct, and I don't know that they were or not, then if he's getting open, you know, you can, somebody's going to throw him the ball eventually and he'll have a chance to, to, to make some things happen. But we'll see. You know, I, I do – I am looking forward to seeing Luke Doty this weekend, and I do believe they'll play him at receiver quite a bit. You know, we'll see kind of what happens. Uh, let me rephrase that. I said quite a bit. I think they'll play him at receiver. I think you'll see him at receiver. Let's just leave it at that because if I say quite a bit and he gets in eight plays, you guys are going to be like, rah, 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 rah. so anyway, appreciate all the five-star reviews on Apple Pods and all you guys, um, you know, going and helping – the podcast get ranked pretty highly. Uh, it's one of the – I think when you just look at those rankings for Apple Podcasts, it's the highest-ranked Gamecock-only pod out there. Uh, and that's because of you guys, because you guys listen to it. And I appreciate the fact that you guys care what I have to say <laughs> and uh, and all that good stuff. But anyway, uh, that's all the time we have on Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Check out the Big Spur for the coverage of today's press conference. <laughs> Mm. I had a scratchy throat and I tried to make it through without coughing and here at the 50 minute mark I did. So I apologize for that. But anyway, guys, uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow and uh, everyone have a wonderful Tuesday. This is JC Sherbert signing off.